0: The Chiefs wrapped up organized team activities last week, and it was an OTA period unlike any other. The team didn't work together because of the coronavirus, and we tried to determine what that means for the Super Bowl champions on Sports Beat KC with Chief Beat writers Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell. It's Wednesday, June 24th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Herbie posts several questions about the Chiefs for a story that appears on KansasCity.com, and we elaborate on those and ask a few more. The final one might be the most important. It involves how the Chiefs and all NFL teams are going to navigate these uncharted waters. So here we go. Herbie and Sam are here, guys. It is um, it is an odd time of year for the NFL. Not 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 odd. I mean, it's it's the it's the downtime for the NFL. They, they you know the the OTAs are finished. Uh, training camp hasn't started, but the time has been made. All the more strange by the conditions that we're in. We didn't see, we didn't see Andy Reid or the Chiefs. Um, when was the last time we did see him? Was it? Um,
1: gosh, was it the Super Bowl parade? When was the last time? The, the combine. The combine would have been the last time
0: that, that you guys saw him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys went to the combine. That was was that late February.
1: Yep, late February.
0: Yeah. So I think I, I saw Taran Matthew at the 101 Awards, and Andy Reid and some Chiefs were there as well, but. That's that is the last time we have had eyeballs on on the Chiefs other than Zoom calls or or hangouts or or whatever. So I want to talk about that later about what what you know practicing uh, how the Chiefs and other NFL teams got through have gotten through the COVID months of of the season. But first, uh, I want to get to a story that's uh, that's on KansasCity.com right now that was penned by one Herbie Teope. And it is the unanswered questions of uh, of the Chiefs uh, as they head into training camp. And Herbie, we're going to take them in order. And uh, let's start with the, um, the, the question that probably is on most people's minds when it comes to the Chiefs and how they're going to deal with Chris Jones and the Chris Jones contract and what Chris Jones means to the Chiefs. And uh, there is a There's a specific date to pay attention to here. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Here's the deal with franchise tag players, and and I know the knee jerk reaction is because it's been quiet on the Chris Jones front. uh, Is what's going on? What's going on? And a lot of people need to relax for a second here and just keep keep in mind. And history shows this. Despite all the players right now that have signed their franchise tags, but for most players, the NFL. Is a deadline driven league. And and the key date to keep in mind is July the fifteenth. That's that's the league-wide suspense or deadline when teams have to have a long-term contract worked out with a player. And if it's not worked out, the the next time they can even come to a table to discuss it is at the end of the year. The thing that comes into play here is with Chris Jones, he has the option to sign that franchise tag, which he you know, he doesn't necessarily have to do it by July the fifteenth because some franchise players don't want to sign that tag then because now all of a sudden they have to show up to training camp. And so July the 15th is the absolute day where everyone has to zero in on if the Chiefs can work out a long-term deal with him. If he signs if they- the franchise tag, then that carries a $16.1 million price tag, which he will play. That's what he'll make this year if he signs the franchise tag.
0: And, Sam, would he be a ha- happy camper playing under the franchise tag? You and I have been around for all of Chris Jones' career here. And, look, he's been a, you know, he's been a terrific player. He's been a terrific teammate. He is obviously somebody the Chiefs would, would want to keep. But from a business standpoint, what's the, what's, what's the possibility of seeing Chris Jones not in a Chief uniform after next season?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is kind of the final time, in my eyes, to to work out that long-term deal. Um, and, and, I mean, we saw Chris Jones miss camp last year because he wanted the deal last year. He wanted that extension last year. And I, I kind of wonder if maybe that that was the Chiefs' best shot to work out a long-term deal with Chris Jones. I mean, he, he's put together, you know, four good years, but, but two really, really good years back-to-back. And, and to me, a guy that can rush the passer – at that position from the interior of the defensive line is so unique that I I don't see how you replace Chris Jones if he's not on your roster. And there's other guys certainly at that position that um, I I like that the Chiefs have. You know, Derek Nott is is developing into a good player. You know, Mike Pinnell had a really good season last year. He'll be back. But those guys have a different attribute than Chris Jones. They don't get after the pastor the way way Chris Jones does. And I just – I wonder if they don't get the deal done this offseason. I, I think we probably are seeing Chris Jones last year in a Chiefs uniform.
0: And I dare say that the, the Chiefs comeback in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl doesn't happen without um, uh, Chris Jones playing the way that he did, knocking down passes, getting to the quarterback. He was so critical to the Chiefs in, in the Super Bowl. Hate to see him not in a Chiefs uniform someday, but look, it's the, it's the nature of the NFL, it's the business of the NFL. We'll have to see. All right, let's let's uh, let's talk about another position also on the line, but on the other side. And the question is, who lines up at left guard for the Chiefs? There's a there's a candidate here, a leading candidate, Herbie, isn't there? But um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll see him in the starting lineup when the season starts.
1: Yeah, the left guard position was manned by th- obviously three players last year. Actually, it was manned by. Andrew Wiley, who started the year, and then he got hurt, and then it gave way to Martinez Rankin, who actually started five games at left guard before he got hurt. And then eventually, as the season wore on, you saw Stefan Wisniewski, who signed as a veteran free agent at the midpoint of the season. He was inserted into the starting lineup late in the year, started all throughout the postseason and the Super Bowl championship run. But when he left in free agency, it left a hole on the offensive line. And what the Chiefs did was they brought in a veteran in Mike Remmers, sign them to a one-year deal. Now, conventional wisdom would be, hey, Remmers is the guy who's going to be starting, but we don't know that yet. And this is where the absence of OTAs really hurts the evaluation process. I think it's when you look at all the position groups, offensive line has to rank up high with the ability to evaluate what you have there because during OTAs, you get team-related drills. Now, what the Chiefs have been doing as well as the rest of the NFL – is they're they're using virtual workouts, they're using virtual meetings, which it's not the same thing because you don't know how they're grasping the concepts, how they're blo- they're they're grasping the, the the blocking schemes. So if Remmers isn't the answer, I think they are covered with depth there with Andrew Wiley and Martinez Rankin. You know, you can probably expect a battle royale in training camp when it happens. But Remmers is the guy I'm I'm sure that they signed to re- replace
2: Wisniewski. And yeah, and Sam,
0: not- they go go ahead, Sam.
2: Well, I think one other name in there that that maybe Herbie didn't mention is, is, is I wonder if Lucas Niang could come in and compete at guard. You know, obviously they drafted him to be a tackle, and I think perhaps even be the tackle of the future, depending on what happens with Eric Fisher's contract after the season. But Brett Veach has said he's a guy that they think can compete to play right away. Now, what Herbie mentioned, is even a bigger factor for Lucas Niang than the other guys, which is the fa- the absence of a mini camp and an offseason for a rookie is just tremendous. The, they don't get to see these guys on field and evaluate them. So I think they're going to be a little bit more behind the eight ball. Maybe that makes it a little bit more difficult for him to start at left guard right off the bat. But, but I think he's a, he's a name we're going to have to watch for in training camp.
1: And that, that's a good point, Sam, because I think, if anything, Remmers gives you that option – where he is a veteran who they can plug and play based on his experience. And you're going to have to live with whether he's, he's actually grasped the system. You can grow into that. But at the same time, would you trust a veteran on the left side, which is basically Patrick Mahomes' blind spot, or would you trust a rookie there? And I think the answer should be pretty obvious. you got to go with a veteran there.
0: I think with the you know with the tackles with uh, what Fisher and and Schwartz the, the Chiefs feel great right they're they're in good shape there so it was the interior of the line where we saw some vulnerability with the Chiefs and injuries certainly played a role in that a year ago I I barely remember Martinez Rankin starting but he did he started five five consecutive games for the Chiefs because of the injuries and uh, it turns out that was the, the that rough spot in the you know early early to mid part of the schedule where they dropped a couple uh, the the Colts Texans game, Packers game, and um, uh, but they got through it. And again, by the end of the season, this was um, this was a, a great group. So uh, it is the interior of the, of the offensive line that maybe we need to keep an eye on. So, all right, next question, Herbie from Herbie, um, will Bashard Breland miss time? Now, you know. <laughs> We're assuming the season starts on time and they're going to play the entire schedule. Those are, you know, we have to operate under that assumption right now. But, um, uh, but but yeah, look, Bashard Breland's got uh, he's got some issues he's got to deal with.
1: Yeah, it was two months ago, and we're approaching exactly two months since Breland was arrested in late April uh, in York County, South Carolina. Numerous charges: resisting arrest, transporting alcohol in the motor vehicle with the seal broken open container of beer or wine in a motor vehicle, possession of 28 grams or less of marijuana or 10 grams of hash and driving without a license. So it's that's hanging over his head right now. Andy Reid said in early May that he saw a video of Breland's arrest and then the, both of them talked. But what's what's hurting right now or what the unknown right now, not necessarily hurting, but the unknown right now is when is this court date? Uh, Andy Reid specifically mentioned also in that early May conference call that He's not going to rush to judgment. He's going to allow the legal process to work out. But there's a there's a potential suspension hanging over his head right now. And that's the big unknown. And so is he going to miss time or is he going to miss time? I think the Chiefs would like to have Breland. They, they brought him back on a one year, four million dollar deal. And he's a starter next to Shavaris Ward. So you've got an issue here. And there's some question marks here is if Breland misses time,
0: who is the next man up?
2: Who is it, Sam? Uh, I, yeah, Rashad I mean, Fenton
0: I, seems like a like a candidate.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to ask Herbie if he listed these questions in order today because Chris Jones for sure is is the top question right now. But for me, this is number two because they don't have an obvious backup for Rashad Breeland. And Breeland had, I think, an underrated season last year. I, and Charverius Ward is developing, I think, into a potential superstar, a cornerback, but Beyond that, if Breeland's out, then then who plays? I mean, Rashad Fenton, I thought was good in flashes last year, um, but you know, in the slot a lot, and I thought maybe he was the guy that made sense for the slot. But if you're missing Breeland, all of a sudden you've lost Rashad Breeland and Kendall Fuller from last year's team, and then I I don't know that there's an obvious ne- next man up. Yeah, they, they they got a couple guys out of the draft with Legarius Sneed and Bo Peake Keys and. They added Antonio Hamilton, but there's a common thing in all three of those guys, which is they don't have a lot of NFL experience and a lot of snaps at at cornerback. So to me, that's a huge question mark for the Chiefs. Now, the other hand is when you're a Super Bowl contending team, you can make it through a month without one of your guys because you're looking at towards the end of the season and the roster you feel like you're going to have for the playoffs, not the roster you're going to have in August and September.
0: Okay, guys, let's go ahead. Go ahead, Herbie.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic point from Sam there. You know, if if, let's say, for example, if he does miss the first four games of the year, if the NFL imposes a four-game suspension, you've got the Texans, Chargers, Ravens, and Patriots. Texans, obviously, they no longer have the Andre Hopkins. I don't know what the heck they were thinking. Uh, The Chargers, you know, going through a new quarterback situation. The Patriots without Tom Brady. So obviously, the, the biggest concern that you're facing right now are the Baltimore Ravens. And I think, given the scenarios with the other three teams, with with you know we don't know what's going on with the wide receivers. We don't know how their quarterback situation is going to play out. So if you can afford to lose Ward, or excuse me, if you can afford to lose Greenland, you can do it in the first four games.
0: Okay, guys, let's uh, let's stop here. Take a little break, and when we come back, there's a couple more questions we need to get to. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with Herbie Teopi and Sam McDowell, beat writers, uh, chief beat writers for the Kansas City Star. And guys, let's pick it up with um another question and this is the first time that the chiefs have had to address this position in uh, what, is it 15 years of a Dustin Colquitt <laughs> a, a long dang time right um, even before sportsbeat kc started that's how long it's been so um, they they're out of punter they they don't have a punter i i was I don't know if I was shocked by the release of, of Dustin Colquitt. I think we all in the back of our minds knew it was a possibility. But when when you lose a player who has been around as long as he has, who's been as successful as he has, who's been as ingrained in the community as Dustin Colquitt had, it was just a, you know, when you saw the release, it was just a, oh my gosh, moment. But it's he's done. There's going to be competition And, um, and Herbie, take us through the candidates for this and the importance of the, of the position just beyond punting.
1: Yeah. You you never worry about a punter until you need one. And I think with Dustin Colquitt, you mentioned 15 years. That's 15 years of consistency. One of Colquitt's biggest attributes was his ability to pin opponents inside the 20. He does that very, very well. And by releasing him, and it was a salary cap move because Colquitt was going to count at least, I think it was like $2.5 million against the cap. And so the Chiefs were in the offseason. They, they had some salary cap issues, so the move made sense from that point of view. Their options to replace Colquitt, who was very beloved in this community and, and amongst the, his teammates in the locker room, are Tyler Newsom and, Tom, and rookie Tommy Townsend. Dave Tobe, uh, the special teams coordinator, said during an offseason Zoom call that he is impressed with both players. But I'll I'll be honest with you, I I think he slanted more towards Townsend, who he called, uh, I think he said the best. He had him graded as the best punter coming out of this year's draft class. There's a lot of things at play here, and it's not just punting. We all know from our time covering the National Football League, you know, same thing with the punter. You you don't worry about the field goal unit until there's a mistake. And and we saw a couple of holding issues last year. And so the the Chiefs are going to be breaking in a new holder. Whoever replaces Colquitt will be the holder on field goal units. Thankfully, Dayton says Newsom and Townsend have experience. But this is going to be a situation to watch. And and unfortunately, once again, we we don't have the the benefit of the OTAs, the on-field drills to see how they've done. Tobe said that he is receiving video from these guys because they're working out with James Winchester and Harrison Butker, but it's not necessarily passing the eye test when you're actually getting to see the workout in person.
2: Yeah, I wonder how many other beat writers across the country are listing their punter situation as one of the five things to watch going into, uh, <laughs> going into training camp. But that shows you just the kind of presence Dustin Colquitt had in Kansas City. And, I mean, we all know by going into that locker room what kind of presence he had in the locker room. I mean, he was just beloved by all of his teammates. You know, it, it's well, he's just one of those guys It's tough to find someone to, that says a bad word about Dustin Colquitt. Um, I, but for the competition, I, I completely agree with Herbie. I, I thought that Dave Tobe sort of tipped his hand a little bit, that I think Tommy Townsend is going to be the leader in the clubhouse, kid out of Florida, uh, brother plays in the NFL. Um, so I, I think he's probably going to be the guy, and, uh, to add, to echo something else he said i mean the, the thing i think we're all going to be looking for more than anything is is field goals i mean harrison bucker talked about how much you know that dustin colquitt was kind of like his caddy you know he, a couple of times pregame when bucker's field goals weren't going right colquitt was the guy that, that figured out what what wasn't going right and yeah hey maybe if i tilt the ball a little bit this way that, that this will make the um, this will make the, the difference so um, that, that, that's probably, I think, the biggest storyline with that situation.
0: You know, um, and I don't mean to sound flip about this, but with the Chiefs offense, as um, <laughs> potent as it is. No, we don't. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Think about a team getting, what, 11, 12 possessions in a game. And if the Chiefs have touchdowns on four or five of them and field goals on two or three of them, that that only, and one's an end of the half, but you know, there, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I imagine Dustin Colquitt was probably over the last two seasons toward the bottom in punt attempts among, um, among NFL punters. So uh, I I know it's, you you want to have the absolute best person available for that position, but it's not like it was in the years when you know when when you know Matt Castle was the Chiefs quarterback and yeah. you know the Chiefs were tr- struggling to
2: score no and to act, Blair on on that point that's why Dustin Colquit was such a good fit here is because his strength was that you know that coffin corner punting you know the the high hang time uh, getting the ball inside the 20 and To me, the Chiefs are rarely going to be backed up against their own end zone, just needing somebody to absolutely bomb the ball. Colquitt was the guy that, that could place the ball, and I don't know these two punters well enough to know which one does that better, but I would have to think that's going to be of higher consequence here than it probably would be with a lot of other organizations.
0: All right. That takes us to the fifth question. And, um, and, and I think we could talk a long time about this. Um, it wasn't actually posed in the form of a question. It just is a statement entering the unknown. there is a lot of unknown, a ton of unknown for all teams going into, um, this, this down period before training camp begins. I don't even know where to start with this, whether it's health and safety. Why don't we start there? Just, uh, uh, because it's that's foremost on everybody's mind. And it's it's the biggest issue in every sport right now. Um, Herbie, what is uh, what have we learned about what the NFL is doing and in, in, uh, in, in terms of protecting players and uh, and you know making the suggestions of social distancing, mask wearing, whatever? And what have you heard through the uh, about the NFL through maybe some teams that have been impacted by COVID-19? I, I think
1: when, when I think of how they're going to handle social distancing, I, I go back to what Los Angeles Rams coach Sean McVay said just last week. You know, if, if you want to impose strict social distancing guidelines, football is a contact sport. And, 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 you know, McVay seemed a little frustrated trying to figure out how in the world are you going to enforce all that when when we play football for a living? And I'm just paraphrasing him here. But that was the gist of his his uh, his comments. Look, the NFL has been moving on like there is going to be a season. And, and so all the teams are doing the same thing. They, they've issued some tier guidance on protocols to hopefully bring back players because player you know, teams are going to be doing training camp in their team facility. The Chiefs will not be in St. Joe this year. They will be at One Arrowhead Drive. But the players still are not allowed in there. So they, they've got to figure out a way to bring them in. I don't know how they're going to do this. Uh, you know, I, I'm not even going to pretend to know the answer because. In just the past week since the Chiefs ended their virtual offseason, you've had positive tests pop up all over, not just the NFL, where you've had Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the 49ers, the Denver Broncos had either players or coaching staff members test positive. Other sports have been affected. I I go to Orlando, where the, the NWSL Challenge Cup tournament is supposed to be starting, and one of the teams had to withdraw the Orlando Pride because they had players and coaches test positive. College Athletics. Here in our own backyard, Kansas State, 14 players testing positive or or student athletes testing positive. They had to shut down their 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 voluntary workouts. I don't know how they're going to get it done in a week. You know, the NFL has a plan and I guess we're just got to see how it works out.
0: I'll tell you, Herbie and Sam, you guys, every other sport. Every that I can think of, right? Every other sport, U.S. sport, baseball, NBA, NHL, college basketball, college football, um, to to a lesser extent, golf, auto racing, they they've all you know been impacted in, in a bigger way than than the NFL because they've all had either their seasons or the beginning of practice interrupted. And the NFL has had the timing of of the pandemic has favored the NFL. It has had an opportunity to. Sit back and observe what's happening in the country, and what's happening in other sports, and to take, um, go to school on what's happening in other sports. Um, and yet, I guess we just have to have our, you know, our fingers crossed that the NFL is doing the right things. You know, they they um, they have allowed. You know, it was early June. They started to allow coaches or team personnel back in the facilities. That hey, there's a question for you, Herbie. What what do we know about what What the Chiefs and other NFL teams have had, uh, uh, what they've allowed in terms of coming back into, well, in the Chiefs' case, one arrowhead drive.
1: Yeah, and this goes back to the tiered system that the NFL has in place. So, like, for example, coaches, um, key personnel are considered in tier one. So anytime they're in the the team facility, which which they're now allowing up to, I think it's 75 now. No, excuse me, 100. It used to be 75, but now it's 100. But they all have to be wearing masks. And and you know, we've seen other teams, you know, some of the teams on their Twitter feeds are, are tweeting photos of coaches coming back into the building. I know that um, when the when the league first allowed the team to come back, the Chiefs didn't have all the coaching staffs. The first day it was just Andy Reid and, and Dave Toe. So that's what's happening now. But the key piece here are the players. When when can the players return? Because you can have all the coaches in there, but it does you absolutely no good if you don't have the players in place to practice.
0: Yeah, and, and Sam, the thing I we talked about, it, we touched on a little while ago with Lucas Niang, but I also think about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I think about uh, Gay, the linebacker, the, the draft choices, the the undrafted free agents. Uh, it's true for every, you know, all 32 NFL teams. But, um, you know, the Chiefs were looking at a – you know, a handful of the draft picks to come in and contribute right away. They haven't had the opportunity to work with a directly with a coach, um, in some cases, maybe not directly with a teammate. What, what's the What's the impact of that? Is it going to be a slower developing rookie class for, for NFL teams?
2: Yeah, I mean, for sure, right? I mean, when these guys can't actually be evaluated on the field, I think they're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage when they're trying to fight for spots even, but... Um, You know, to me, I mean, there's like you mentioned, but there's a lot of thoughts on what's going on right now with with COVID-19 and sports. But two major things stand out with me with the NFL. And the first is the fact that all these other teams that that you and Herbie mentioned, you know, I mean, here locally, Kansas State. I mean, we've had so many sports athletes affected by this, but that's before the NFL season. You know, a lot of these other teams are trying to get in season when when Herbie mentioned soccer. And I think we all would have lost a lot of money betting against Herbie ever mentioning soccer on this podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) all these other sports are going through it. I think the NFL can sit back and wait and say, let's see what happens. You know, so far, all these athletes that we've heard about over the past couple of weeks are not being hospitalized. You know, we haven't heard of deaths. And I, I think that the NFL has the luxury of seeing how this plays out with athletes and then deciding how that's going to affect their season um, and the second point for me is that I, I think it's obvious that players are going to get this once training camp starts. Uh, how many and, and who and where? I mean, that that's certainly up for debate, but I, I, I don't think there's any question that some players are going to get COVID-19 at some point during the season, and then what do you do? And that's something that I, I don't know what the NFL's thought process is on that, Um You know, if if a Patrick Mahomes type player gets it, does he have to quarantine for two weeks? Is he out for two weeks? I mean, what do you do at that point? So, um, there's so many unknown questions, but I think that is the big one for me.
1: If I can just add something there to what Sam is mentioning too, that one of the things that's really jumping out to me over the last two weeks is the spike in cases around the country, specifically Texas, Florida, and Arizona. Those three states are our trending high when you when you look at all the cases that are starting to pop up all over the place what are the what's one thing those three states have in common they host nfl teams when you take those three states they host a combined six nfl teams and we already know the texans and dallas cowboys already had positive tests uh from a couple of weeks ago and ezekiel elliott their, their star running back was one of the players who had it uh so so as the numbers continue to go up, and I, and I certainly agree with Sam here, is his point on players will get it as the season goes along. Roger Goodell has even said on record that, you know, they expect players to get it, but it's, they just have to have the plans in place on how they're going to deal with it. If Patrick Mahomes comes down with COVID and he has to sit out two weeks, you know, <laughs> hopefully it happens during the bye week. So he can come back and play. I, I don't know how you're going to deal with it, though. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens here.
0: Well, my my concern is you're 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 preparing to play an opponent. Let's just take opening week for the Chiefs, uh, the Texans on that Thursday night opener, and all of a sudden the Texans come down with ten cases of of COVID, and yeah. is that game going to be played? Do you do you play that game now? And what you know, I, I'm not. We're, we're, as you as you mentioned, Herbie, we're seeing it. Throughout the you know college football workouts with Kansas State, LSU, Clemson, Texas, Baylor's now joined to the list. join the list of multiple cases, and you know what I, I worry about that for college and pro football. If if a team contracts, you know, d- say double digit numbers of uh, of players contracted, does the, the following you know if you're quarantined for two weeks, do you even play the next couple of games?
2: Yeah. Blair, Blair, to that point, I mean, with K-State, look at the way those those positive test numbers came out. You know, what what did it start with, like six and then it was eight and then it was less four, than two.
0: that. No, it was like it was like one or two. And then and then, you know, a week and a half later, it's 14 and suspending workouts. And,
2: um, and so what, what what strikes me about that is because there's so much unknown about this virus. But, but one of the things is if you've got the virus and, and you get it. On a Wednesday, for example, if you take the test on a Wednesday, it's probably not going to show up that you have it. And so the the scenario that that you mentioned, if if 10 players on one team and, and use the Texans as an example, contract it, just because everybody else tests negative doesn't mean they don't currently have the virus. They might not test positive for two or three days. That's how this testing works. So would it really be safe to allow the rest of the Texans to go out and play against an against another team and potentially expose that entire team. And those are questions that I know the NFL is thinking about, and I don't know exactly what their plan is, but I just, I just get the feeling in my mind that they're going to try and play this season one way or another.
0: Yeah. And, and we're going to get to, we're going to get a look in, in July with the MLS tournament, the the MLS is back tournament starting on July 8th and now major league baseball set to start a uh, return. And, what the third week in July, so we'll have a we'll have a better understanding about team sports and um and and, and the in the spread of COVID and how teams and leagues react to that. Let me let's leave on on this question. It's a hypothetical, and no NFL team in the in the league doesn't have to answer this right now. But um, do both of you, let me let me get your opinion on the idea of fans in the stands uh, on on June twenty fourth. Do you expect to see any uh, or a small percentage, half the house, full house. what are you thinking uh, in terms of uh, fans in the stands? Sam, let's let's start with you.
2: I, I can't figure out how the logistics work and I've certainly heard certain things about um, uh, you know filling it half full, a third full, maybe letting some season ticket holders have you know games one, three, five, and seven, the other have two, four, six, and eight. but I can't figure out the logistics of how it works. You're still whether you're spread out in the stands or not, there's still so many, Um, facilities inside that stadium that you're still sharing, whether it be bathrooms, water fountains, concessions, things like that, that I I can't figure out the logistics of having fans in the stands. I I know that's the money generator, um, but for public health and safety, it just, it doesn't make sense to to me, especially when, again, we've talked about there being so much unknown, and one of those unknowns is what's the virus going to look like when when the weather gets cold once again? Are we going to see another surge? And I would just hate to to be blindsided by another surge and then find out that 75,000 people were convened in one place in Kansas city. What do you think Herbie? Hey, everything Sam said, he nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I have nothing to add to that. I, I just, I, I agree emphatically with everything that Sam McDowell said there, my esteemed colleague uh, who, who just nailed it. I, I, I don't know how they're going to be able to do it with the logistics and you know, we don't have a vaccine. That is the biggest thing that, that is in the back of my mind right now. There's no vaccine. And I think it would be – I don't know if you want to expose everyone, hey, come on out here and let's fill this 70,000-man stadium, or even if we go halfway, it's 35,000. I mean, I, I just don't see how you're going
2: to be able to do it. Hey, Blair, can you add a teaser to the start of this episode <laughs> with just Herbie talking about how much he agrees with me? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and we'll, we'll cut out all of Herbie's parts, and we'll just have you right, talking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just,
2: cut that, just cut that answer after everything I say. That would be great. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, guys. Well, the Chiefs are off until uh, training camp begins, but Herbie and Sam are not. Uh, we'll be checking in with you guys uh, throughout the next few weeks. Appreciate you spending some time with me today. Hey, all right, thanks thanks for having me there. That will do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A tip of the cap to Herbie Teopian, Sam McDowell for talking Chiefs and the NFL. Links to stories about the Chiefs can be found in the show notes and always on the Red Zone Extra app. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the sports pass offer. It still stands, still a good one. 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage, and that includes the Sports Extra on the E-Edition. Here's an even better offer. Buy the entire Kansas City Star product, news sports features, commentary, analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus extra news, sports, and business coverage. The details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.com kansascitycom city.com slash subscribe and whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in kansas city and helping us produce programs like sports bkc hey let me leave you with a programming note on thursday the star is hosting an online forum called race in sports the panel includes chief safety teran matthew royals general manager dayton moore negro league's baseball museum president bob kendrick College basketball coaches Conzo Martin of Missouri and Bill Self of Kansas, and Kansas State basketball player Christiana Carr, who helped organize protest marches. The program will be carried on the Star's Facebook Live page and YouTube channel. Hope you can join us at 2 p.m. on Thursday.